Hello and welcome to the Waking Youth Podcast, a show dedicated to reminding us to not sleepwalk through our waking state. Today I'm conversing with Giancarlo Canabesio, former investment banker, documentary producer, and owner of Mangusta Productions and Mango TV. Giancarlo is recognized as one of today's best producers of controversial, paradigm-challenging and mind-expanding themes like plant medicines, consensual non-monogamy, tantric sex, and conscious capitalism. His documentaries, for example, 2012, Time for Change and Neros to Nirvana, all made the lists for best social change docs. More recently based in Ibiza, Giancarlo is involved in regenerative projects in the fields of hospitality with Diffuso and agriculture with Tejaviva. I ran into Giancarlo's work as I found myself in a rabbit hole of Daniel Pinchbeck. That rabbit hole eventually led me to Giancarlo's show, Mango TV Podcast, now one of my top morning podcasts. In this episode, we explore Giancarlo's story of becoming that eventually led him to create a path that, in my opinion, is rather original as well as integral and always grounded in humor, lightness and playfulness. I'm Carlota Getsch and this is The Waking Youth Podcast. Welcome, Giancarlo, to the Waking Youth Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I would like to ground things a little bit in personal history, okay? And I listened to a lot of interviews that you that you hosted and that you uh, also were guest. You mentioned sometimes your dad uh, and how it, it, it influenced you and your decisions later on in your life. But I think I've never heard you talk about movies in your childhood. And I just had this question. Maybe it wasn't a significant thing, but I'm just curious if, you know, knowing how much you're into also the, the production, uh, film production, if, if movies were a part of your childhood. Yeah, that's a very good uh, question because, um, you know, I had, um, you know, I don't like... Um, I don't like mental disease labels, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I had what can be labeled as a attention deficit disorder in childhood. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I was, you know, really, really, it was very hard for me to keep attention on anything. Um, so I was not a good reader. Also the movie, I was getting distracted. And then my love affair with movies started actually later on when they invented um, DVD. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was, you know, in my 20s or late teens, um, I was able to pause and rewind with the remote control. And that really helped me to, you know, when I was getting distracted, I would pause and rewind. And then there was the bonus material, there was the comment of the director, there was the interview with the actor, and I was living in London at the time, and there was a little music store in Shaftesbury Avenue, and I used to live in Covent Garden, and I discovered everybody. <laughs> the French, the English, the, you know, the producer, Alain Sard, the, mm-hmm. with the, all the French, uh, Homer, uh, Chabrol, uh, the 
all the French actress that I really loved, and then the English filmmakers and 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 Keslowski and and Woody Allen and 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 uh, Polanski and Kubrick and and I remember spending hours and hours and hours. I had this little apartment in London, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah. So so in childhood there was no movies, but in my late teens I catch up definitely. Okay, late teens, interesting. Okay, and you traveled a lot as a kid, no? Or you just lived in different places? You mentioned Jakarta, so, Brussels, Athens, yeah, Rome. My, yeah, my father was a diplomat. Mm-hmm. You know, he was representing Italy abroad. So every four years, he had to move. That's just the way Italian diplomacy works. It, it works f- eight years abroad in two different capitals. So four years, four years, and then four years back in Rome. And then and then again, four, eight, four, eight for all their life. And um, so I moved around with my father until my parents split up. And then we stayed in Rome for my, between my, I don't know, 12 to 20, something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I selected a few words that you mention a lot. Three, vulnerability. Mm. <laughs> and you mentioned a lot Renee Brown, mm. who I also appreciate dearly. Courage. And humor. Perhaps you don't mention the humor a lot, but I feel there's so much humor in the way that you carry yourself and, and, and engage with life. If you had to talk about these three words in this context of your early life, what memories come or experiences? Hmm. So, you know, vulnerability is a concept I discovered late also, because, you know, as most people do, they just avoid it. You know, whatever, whenever they feel just the beginning of vulnerability, they switch the channel, the environment, the activity, whatever they are doing that, you know, whenever there's the smell of vulnerability, immediately people escape. And I was doing that all the time. I didn't like to engage in vulnerable conversation, doing vulnerable activity. For me, it was a lot sharing my feelings. Um, that was you know, so so I, I vulnerability is something I discovered later on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure we have time to discuss the all the transformative event in my life, and maybe we we'll go back to that then. Mm-hmm. Um, courage, you know, my father was um, very courageous from um, really a physical adventure point of view. You know, my grandfather was an alpinist; he had a record on climbing this side of the. Monte Rosa in Italy, in the um, Italian Alps. My father crossed the, you know, we crossed with a sailing boat, I don't know how many oceans, from Kuala Lumpur to the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very brave in, in fishing with the, with the shark and, and, and skiing. And, you know, I end up in an avalanche. So, so his type of courage was very much adrenaline linked. It, mm-hmm. it was, to be honest, it was it was a form of escapism, really. Mm-hmm. But so I was I was initiated to that kind of physical courage, and then, and then again, psychological courage is actually linked to vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and what was the third word? Humor. Humor. Yeah, humor, humor is is is, <laughs> is so important not to take yourself seriously, you know, and. Um, and yeah, it's, I think it's a very, very, very important antidote for human suffering. Um, yeah, I recommend mm-hmm. people to explore these three th- themes. Good. Okay. 
And and just to to get a sense also of this this process of becoming, I was looking into your studies as well. Uh, so if you want to talk a little bit about perhaps in the spirit of that disconnection with vulnerability or anything else that you might feel inspired to share, but leading to the moment that in your jargon would be the cathartic moment before that, if you could just give a bit of the context of uh, you studying, I, I have here that you studied business in Rome, then you got involved in investment banking, then financial consultancy, if you could just paint a bit of the picture. Because also it's sometimes it's interesting to see what was there before leading to those moments of waking up. Yeah. So as you, as you say, you're very accurate. Um, I did um, a degree in uh, economy and commerce at the University of Rome. Then I went to London and I was an investment banker for ten, roughly 10 years. Then I started a risk management company. We would advise institutional investors like pension funds in their investment. My partners were PhD. We would use um, the program of um, Markowitz, which won a Nobel Prize on um, portfolio diversification technique, uh, manager selection, hedge fund manager selection. That's what then brought me to London, to New York, was um, uh, selecting hedge fund managers for those uh, European institutional clients. And yeah, I mean, I was, um, my, my modus operandi was like to be just very busy all the time. Mm-hmm. Um I, I was joking, you know, back then I heard um, someone saying that when the indigenous um, tribes from um, from America would start traveling to to the to the UN, to Geneva or to Prague, I'm not sure, um, they would take the plane and then once um, they land, they would build a tent nearby the airport and wait for their soul for two days or three days. They thought that it take the soul three days to catch up with the body when you take such a radical way of, mm-hmm. of, of traveling. And so my joke with everybody was that, you know, I don't want to deal with my soul. So I try not to stay more than four days in every place. So I will travel like as much as, <laughs> and it was a joke, but there was some truth to it. You know, I really didn't like to be alone. I really didn't like any contemplative practice. Uh, and then my father was, you know, since since a little kid, he would tell me things like, you know, every night spent alone is a wasted night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so I was like, you know, a constant search for love, or not love actually, for for lust and 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 and, and uh, you know for for sexuality and um, mm-hmm. and uh, and I remember when 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 I started dating my girlfriend and then become my wife. I remember mm-hmm. once she was telling me. But so tell me how you feel. And I didn't even understand the question. Yeah. I thought, what, what do you mean what I feel? I mean, I'm not tired. I'm not hungry. I'm not cold. <laughs> I'm not horny. I mean, I know it's quite embarrassing. You know, I'm quite ashamed to say that. But, you know, I'm going to be totally vulnerable and transparent. So, so yeah, that was my life, um, you know. Mm-hmm. Giancarlo 1.0, like someone calls yeah. me. <laughs> and, and let me <laughs> and let me stay there for a bit, because you know I think so many listeners probably they're in their twenties, and I think there's a very particular feeling in your twenties that is also your. Of course, you're always creating yourself. You're always, we're always changing as human beings, but particularly when you're twenty, in your twenties, it seems like you are really defining and searching 
for that story, that will be the story also, that, that will continue to be the story of your life. And back then, if you can still connect, because what I find interesting uh, and intriguing about your path is that you didn't just went the alternative way. There was this moment of transition, right? Uh, and also just checking with yourself, what is it that I want uh, from my life? If you can connect still with what was driving you, what would, would you say is the vision there uh, uh, when you were searching for perhaps more the success in a, in a more conventional way or money or the traveling? If you can talk a little bit about that, that drive back then. Yeah, I mean, you know, I wasn't, I felt I wasn't a lost case back then because, you know, everybody was, had this status anxiety, right? They wanted to be someone and be respected. And, Already back then, at the deep of my superficiality and, and, and secular Newtonian Cartesian view of the world, my thing was uh, fun anxiety. Mm. <laughs> I, you know, my objective was to just celebrate and lose myself uh, in, you know, more celebratory out-of-body experience. So more, you know, more linked on, uh, you know, maybe alcohol and, and, and ecstasy and sexuality, but mm. more like the... Dionysian way of, 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 you know, Roman or justic way. <laughs> uh, so not, not, nothing with consciousness and expansion, expansion of consciousness, but just a feast of the senses. Mm -hmm. That was my, that was my objective. You know, I, you know, of course I cared if I was not invited to that party or that other party, but what really I was really care about was to be, to have fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I remember, I don't know if one if one day I want, uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking I had a, fr a friend, a partner in crime back then. His name is uh, Rafael Serrano, and mm -hmm. I remember he would, you know, created all this party all around the world, and his motto was um, only good energy people. <laughs> and I really resonate with that. You know, there was yeah. other people that they didn't really care about good energy. They wanted to be invited in the right cocktail in, in London or the, you know, with society. And and it was more important who's who. But for me, it was more important who's having more fun. I mean, it was mm. still superficial. I'm not saying it was better, but I just want to share. It reminds me a lot of the, the trickster archetype. There's some wisdom also in, in kind of that playful side of life. And it's curious to see later in, also in your journey how you keep always that play, but in coming from a different place, but always in that foundation of humor and play. It's very beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for, for, thank you for letting me reconnect with that. Uh, I haven't done mm -hmm. that in a while. It's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. uh, okay, so now going to those cathartic waking up moments. What would that be for you? So, so you know, they say that in uh, in spiritual awakening, it's never you know the spiritual awakening is not a straight line going up, right? It's it's a series of step. So you know you you, you have a realization and boom, there is one step up, and then you go flat for a long time, and sometimes even a tiny descent, and then boof, you have another step. So. The way to enlightenment or to awakening, it's it's really a ladder. It's not a straight up mm -hmm. line up. So I have a lot of steps to describe. Definitely the first one was um, 2000 and is the year my brother got married. I think it was 2005. Mm -hmm. 
a friend of mine, Fabrizio Chiesa, gave me this book uh, called um, um, Noah Levine, Dharma Punks, and it was uh, it was about awake awakening uh, through meditation. Okay, he uh, was the son of this Buddhist scholar who was. Um, he, he was a, a, a really like a street gangster and he was a drug addict and he was in jail. And the father said, listen, just pay attention to the feeling of the air on your upper lip. Just mm-hmm. that. And just with this inf- instruction, he started like paying attention. And, you know, then he he got it healed and he, he, you know, he did his time. And now he's also a Buddhist teacher. And and that really stayed with me. Uh, that really stayed with me how how this incredible transformation just by the simple way of paying attention of the air in your upper lip. And I remember I was in South Africa for my brother's wedding and I started doing that. And so that was the beginning of my meditation practice, which was very irregular and and you know it was really not a serious practice. <laughs> then a couple of years later I met my my girlfriend at the time and uh, she organized an ayahuasca ceremony for me in um, in Paris on a on a on a peniche on a houseboat, mm-hmm. and I didn't I don't understand the power yet, but but I felt this incredible heart opening, mm-hmm. and um, I had this incredible amount of love for my friends, and then I experienced a little bit with uh, with synesthesia with this idea that you know you can see sound and. And and hear image, and there was a, a participant in the ceremony who was doing this. Um, it was imitating the sound of birds, and and it, they were like, I was not just hearing them; I was seeing them. In um, you know, it was just the beginning, but I I knew there was something there that I needed to investigate. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, then the next step was probably. You know, my my wife and I we started this uh, practice of of maybe serious practice of mm-hmm. ayahuasca for maybe seven eight years, and 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 I remember once she had a very difficult time. You know, I think there is two mechanisms in childhood that create um, mental disease, anxiety, depression, addiction. It's 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 a loss of authenticity mm-hmm. and uh, interioriza- interiorization of uh, unworthiness. And both my wife and I, and and if you dig deep enough, almost everybody who has a mental disease or uh, or, or or unease mm-hmm. um, struggle with this idea that at some time in the childhood they lost their authenticity yeah. to get to get the attachment of the parents back, mm-hmm. and um, and 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 in the same at the same time they might interiorize this idea that they're not worthy. Because when they when you are four, five, six, seven, eight, and your parents lose um, interest in you because they have their own life, because they're busy, mm-hmm. what you think is not that my parents are busy and distracted. You think they don't love me because I'm not lovable, be- and and then you interiorize a sense of being unworthy. Yeah. So, my wife and I, we had our share of addiction and anxiety, and um, and and with ayahuasca we really felt that we were gaining our authenticity back mm-hmm. and that affected our relationship because you know we fell in love we used to say that um, we fell in love because we see each other 
before we could see ourselves. Mm-hmm. But so so during this year of ayahuasca, we were reconnecting with our authentic self. And so the dynamic of the couple was changing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, you know, a series of cathartic moments where this realization with plant medicine that, you know, we were worthy and we were, and we were finding our authenticity, you know. Mm-hmm. Then I went uh, to rehab. I had an addiction. I had a cannabis addiction, which mm-hmm. I couldn't beat with cannabis, with the plant medicine. And uh, it was the Deepak Chopra Rehabilitation Center in uh, in Canada. Um, there was one exercise where they put on the floor words you resonate with, and there were disempowerment, uh, abuse, um, abandonment, betrayal. And, and I really resonate with the word mm-hmm. disempowerment, and I really understood that that was a big part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. And so that was another step. Um, then um, then my wife st- st- stopping to, to drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. That was also a change of dynamic. And then, I mean, the biggest step, which you never know if there's going to be a bigger one, but was to stop alcohol and cannabis completely for me um, eight months ago. Okay. Wow. And then, and then finally, and then finally, moving to Ibiza and connecting with this community has been probably—I mean, mm. who knows? You know, I thought the previous step were the last one, so you never know. But now, I think, I think 2022 is the year where I really feel that mm. I'm not be—you know—I think I'm not being. Uh, let's keep the word enlightened for the saint, but I feel I'm awake, mm. or at least I'm getting pretty awake (laughs) or at least aware yeah i was while you were talking uh, about also that question of authenticity and attachments that need we have for authenticity and attachment that i also heard you talk about before in the context of gabor mate's work and now connecting even to what you're saying now one of the beautiful things also in the context of that work is i think it's in the Gabor Mate's movie, latest movie, where he talks about um, why trauma happens. And it's not only about the event themselves, but it's also it also has to do with you not in that moment having someone you can trust to share that traumatic experience with you. And it really speaks to this need for community. And it's also interesting that you're now mentioning Ibiza and how important that, that support of a community is for us to flourish individually and collectively. Um, going back a bit, we'll, we'll get to Ibiza in a second. What I find interesting, looking a little bit at the timeline also of how the events unfolded in your life, is that you mentioned 2005, 2006, more or less, that you had the first ayahuasca experiences. And then I have here that you uh, created, founded Mangusta Productions around 2005 after being introduced to film production. Yeah, I think it was a little bit before, but I got really excited about documentary making Mm -hmm. during that phase of my first ayahuasca ceremony and meeting Daniel Pinchbeck. Mm-hmm. It was around 2005, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and parallel to that, you have Mangusta Risk. <laughs> so <laughs> I find interesting that you 
you have these things going on in parallel, you know, and, and sometimes there's a book that I love. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. No, I'll, no? I'll check okay. it out, though. <laughs> it's a book about creativity and it talks mm. about um, how can you approach the challenge of creativity. First, it impacts a bit what is this topic of creativity. Being creative is, is not only that you might be drawn to painting, it's just being creative in your life in general. And she talks a little bit about how uh, important it is that we protect our creativity. And for different people, it might different, be different things. I think in your case, it could be the, the filmmaking and this the creativity that, that involves all this going out there in the world and really putting these movies and films out there. But she also talks about the financial aspect of it, because if you put a lot of pressure in your creativity, then you might be stressing what is most sacred to you. So she talks about different alternatives and it, he, she gives her particular example of how she was very mindful to not live of her writing while she was still developing her writing. So she always found a way that she could have enough money that she could feel stay safe and grounded so that she could write because what she wants to do in life, what, what is most sacred to her is the writing. So looking at your path, you know, and, and seeing this, this parallel and talking about this making choices, I'm curious about like how intentional you were about protecting also that, that sacredness uh, of perhaps the movies. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Also, I want to be mindful about your demographic of your listeners, right? Mm -hmm. How old are you, Carlotta? I'm 24. Yeah. So... So this is a difficult time, right, for the younger generation to, to, to you know, integrate some, you know, pro-social behavior or love to help the planet, but also with the neoliberal capitalistic system and make, make a living. I totally get that. Um, you know, my son is 20 and, you know, he's also, there is, there is a contradiction between doing good and doing making money. <laughs> I mean, it's possible, you know, it's possible to do both. But definitely in our system, the creative art are more difficult to monetize than, than, the, than the more, um, you know, financial or business activity. So my, um, you know, for me, when I was in investment banking, I knew that I just wanted to make as much money as possible. Mm. Uh, I was not interested in being a manager in these banks. I just wanted to, um, you know, have some financial security to then do something else. I didn't know what it was. Um, so I, I always had a little bit of a, of a, of a saving capital that allowed me to, to pursue this, this, this creative endeavor, especially with Mangusta production being not very commercial, you know, like documentary on plant medicine and stuff like that. Um, I just wanted to say, and maybe we can, maybe we have time. I want to briefly explain. I have, I developed a model of, for, for body and mental wellness called the four P's. Okay. And maybe we can go into that a bit later. But there's one P, which is um, uh, passion, meaning, purpose. So there is this um, um, psychiatric, Viktor Frankl says that um, the meaning of life is to find your gift and the purpose of life is to give it away. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and it's beautiful, but it's difficult. You know, the younger generation feel like, okay, but um, what, how do I find my gift? It's not, it's not that obvious, you know. So what I would recommend, 
um, and following on on the author that you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, is that um, you try to have to balance. You know, finding your de- gift uh, cannot be a full time job because you need also to support yourself. So I would definitely find a way to make you know find a way to support yourself in parallel of of looking for your gift. And, uh, and 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 then you'll see, you know, people ask me, but so how do you know what's the gift? And, you know, I think you find what you're passionate about. Mm. The indicator is that, you know, you lose yourself into it. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't see, you, you can't, you lose sense of time. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you're engaged in, 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 a, in an activity that you are fully embodied and it comes natural, you almost channel it from another dimension, you just feel transported. And it's difficult, you know. I'm sure a lot of your friends listening now saying, okay, easier said than done. Mm-hmm. But that's why I agree with your author that, you know, keep a job for money and 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 keep on looking for your gift. And then if you're lucky enough the job you picked for money might become your gift. You know, mm-hmm. it is possible to do, um, you know, social philanthropy or, or or some creative art have potential to be to be successful. You know, the internet allow, um, look with this podcast, you're doing what you love and, and, and now you have, I don't know, 30, 50 episodes, but, you know, if you keep on doing it and when you have 500, you can get sponsor. And so maybe you can make money and, 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 and if you, Keep up the good work, you will. Does mm-hmm. it make sense? Yes, it makes sense. Uh, just on that question of the gift, and, and since I already mentioned the work of Elizabeth Gilbert, she brings something helpful, I, I believe, to the table, which is sometimes instead of instead of focusing on the concept of passion, the step before might be, what are you curious about? Which connects with what you were saying about the state of the flow. Uh, but for some people who might not have like a, a very specific thing of a passion, sometimes just paying attention to what you're naturally curious about sometimes helps. Yeah. So so let me, if I'd love to add something. Huh? Um, you know, Ibiza is one of the, I think, world capital of transformative practices. And what's happening in this island, you know, there are people trying to, trying new thing and integrating different practices. So one practice that my friend Zoran Todorovich is creating is um, an uh, uh, integrating psychotherapy and coaching into what, what he calls evolutionary coaching. Because if you think about it, you know, if you do have psychotherapy and you find your blind spot, you find your demons, you find your, you know, your pain bodies, like Eckhart Tolle calls them, then, then you know, you do the work, you rewire your brain with a lot of effort and, and, and you, you know, you make peace with your demons. So now you're reasonably healed. But then if you don't have a, a passion, then you're like, you know, you might be a healed bag of potatoes on your on a couch, right? <laughs> and then vice versa, you can be, you can do a lot of coaching, you know, Tony Robbins mm-hmm. and, and find, find my passion and, and, and how do you, you can do all this protocol and questionnaire to find your passion and be very driven, visualization, law of attraction. You do all that, but if you do all that without the psychotherapy, mm-hmm. then your demons and your blind spot and your and your and your pain bodies might distort the work you do with the coaching. So you might not be a, a heel back of potatoes, but you can be a neurotic overachiever. So how do you manage 
I think you should integrate the psychotherapy with the coaching. And I invite, for example, to look in uh, Google Zoran Todorovic and see what he's doing with his program. And uh, my wife will also integrate some sort of coaching on her uh, Gabor Mate Compassion Inquiry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just wanted to share that. Yeah, and I'll, that also perhaps indirectly or directly also connects the personal development, personal healing with the collective taking responsibility for the collective and doing something in the material world. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now going, I think it was there in one of your descriptions, I think it was a brilliant description <laughs> that you you talking a little bit about yourself or one of your projects, you now say that this new, next stage, this new stage in Ibiza, you're shifting from a focus on return on investment to return on karma. <laughs> so if you want to talk a little bit about that and, and this, this most recent moment of waking up that you were talking about before. Yes, so... So, you know, the, I have a, I have this, um, you know, I have three activity, right? I have um, Mango TV, the Regenerative Farm, Terra Viva, and, uh, and this um, regenerative hotel called um, Diffuso. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when people ask me, what do I do? I like to say, you know, I'm into regeneration. So regenerative farming, regenerative hospitality, and regenerative content. But so, you know, it's, 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 it's quite a sad state of affair, but the reality is that, in the all the three of the, in these three business, mm-hmm. there's a re, there's an inverse relationship between uh, return on investment and return on karma. Mm-hmm. You know, karma return on karma meaning you know positive impact. Mm-hmm. Like in in the in the in the field, for example, you know, there's a negative correlation between biodiversity and profitability. You know, mm-hmm. the, the 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 science of permaculture. Mm-hmm. Explain that you know you need to pursue radical biodiversity, having different plants, mm-hmm. so you don't have to use pesticide or fertilizer. So you preserve the nutrients and you feed your microbiota and you boost your immune system, and you feel great. But the problem is that you know with radical biodiversity, having you know crop rotation and animal rotation, you have harvest intertwined at the same time. It's very labor intensive. You can't do. Um, you can't use big machine, you can't standard, you can't industrialize it, mm-hmm. right? In order to make money, as what's happening in the world, you have industrial agriculture, which is this big hundred and hundreds of hectares of one crop, you know, potato, tomato, mm-hmm. eucalyptus, so that the machine can get them and you can have, you know, they can last in the shelves and you can maximize profit. So, you know, my life now with this three activity, it's, it's, it's a tension between return on investment and return on karma. You know, when, when the farmer says, okay, we need to spend this to, to do, increase the biodiversity, maybe, you know, capture more water or planting this, this crop, but this, pro- this crop doesn't have a big market value, but it helps because, for example, I don't know, it, 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 it pushes away the, the ants from the tomato. You know, biodiversity and, and investment is a, as a, as a inverse correlation, and and the hospitality business also because you know if you, if you maximize mm-hmm. occupancy, then you know you take whoever pays more, but then that's not what I want to do. I want to create a, 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 a ecosystem of regeneration within 
the different casita. Mm-hmm. So I want to host teachers and, and healers. And sometimes teachers and healers, because of the choice they make in their life, they don't have the money that the summer people can pay in Ibiza. Mm-hmm. So do I prefer to have a beautiful spiritual teacher? For example, the gentleman I had my incredible mystical experience here in this year, what I'm talking <laughs> to you now, or should I keep the apartment free for the three months in the summer mm-hmm. for people that come and spend, I don't know, 5000 on a nightclub? You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's always a tension. And, and also for Mangusta production, you know, if, if your listener wants to go to my to the site, to the site mango.tv, you'll see mm-hmm. that my content is beautiful, is life-changing, but it's mm-hmm. not very commercial. You know, it takes yeah. people like you, <laughs> intellectually curious, into this theme that don't expect content to entertain them only, yeah. but also to inspire them and touch them and, and teach them, you know. But I'm optimistic mm-hmm. about, you know, about the new generation. So, so yeah, so that's the return on karma versus return on investment. Also, there's rough which is return on fun which is also which <laughs> is also very important yeah i hear you and last night i was watching the 2012 again it's such a beautiful movie and it also speaks about the financial system right like what you're talking about the 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 relation between the profitability what you're doing with the regenerative agriculture that perhaps we need different kinds of currencies to kind of support different kinds of or, or to nudge different kinds of behaviors. But I think that that's such an interesting theme. And, and I think it's very present, like for all of us now, but particularly if you're trying to, you know, I, I speak in my case, and I talk a lot about this with my friends, that's like, okay, we're in our 20s. We already have this awareness of, of what's wrong, what should be changed, how, how might we facilitate in our own little ways, how can we be a channel for that positive change? At the same time, we're also trying to build our financial stability. (laughs) And looking at stories like yours, it almost feels like you're kind of experiment with post-work utopias, (laughs) where you're trying to to get to that that financial stability to then do things that really bring you to life and really generate life or regenerative. uh. Yeah, so it's what you said. I'm curious about, about how you also... Uh, think about that on your day to day i was you know i was very lucky you know i you know i i was in at the right moment at the right time you know the 90s in the financial market were very easy yeah you know they are they are experiment with the with monkeys throw darts to stocks and they would make a lot of money mm-hmm. just the monkeys through you know in the 90s so so unfortunately you know i i was i was lucky so now and what fortunately, you about, no, fortunately, fortunately. No, 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 sorry. Yeah, fortunately, I was very lucky. But unfortunately, it doesn't happen often. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, maybe being in the crypto in the right moment mm. or being, you know, but I was lucky because, you know, I was there at the right moment and then I got out. Um, I'm thinking that what you mentioned about alternative currency and, and you know, are we going to be able in the future mm. to connect the profitability and the bottom line of, of corporation and company mm-hmm. also to, um, you know, they, they call it the triple bottom line, not just profit, but yeah. profit, people and planet. So is it possible that young generation like you, my son, my stepdaughter, Talia, who's got your age, is it possible for you guys to go into the workforce 
and and you know make money, make a living, be able to buy your own house, but also doing good in the world. Mm-hmm. And and that's the million dollar question. You know, there's a lot of experiment. Um, you know, some people talk about um, uh, you know the blockchain technology being able to to mine in the contract of some of these blockchain company also the um, pro-social behavior, you know, mm-hmm. where, where for example, a pharmaceutical company that invent a specific product, you know, for, for you know, in the, with, the, with the blockchain technology, with a certain type of smart contract in their quarterly posting, they don't only post the number of sales, but also the impact and the, how many people they healed. Mm-hmm. So this is something for your generation to start investigating, you know, the the, the smart contract for pro-social behavior and having the triple bottom line, um, you know, MAPS, MAPS uh, for mm-hmm. example, is a, is a non-profit who has, is now raising money to uh, commercialize um, MDMA, mm-hmm. like, you know, like psychedelic are becoming legal, you know, MDMA and Magic Mushroom most likely will be legal next year. Definitely MDMA, maybe Imagine Mushroom in 2024. And so there is a big rush of, of private equity and venture capitalists to invest in this compound in order to make money. And MAPS, for example, use the system of, um, of um, it's, 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 it's a hybrid between a profit and non-profit. It's a C-corp. Mm-hmm. So basically, he retained the non-profit and um, and only a part of the MDMA profitability will be devoted for you know for the return on investment. But yeah. you, you need you need you need your listener to investigate more. They can Google Maps and mm-hmm. and C Corp and and see what uh, and see what these guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yeah, I I find this language. I don't know if you know Raina Maria Rilke of living the question because sometimes we get obsessed about finding the answer and that also takes away the fun and the challenge. Mm-hmm. So I think that living living with that question is a good way to 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 face or to embrace this this challenge of, of how yes. to make a living with purpose. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so now shifting to our final part of the interview. You already shared a lot of of wisdom and practical wisdom also to our audience. So perhaps to close this this chapter in a, in a different way, <laughs> if you could <laughs> travel across time and, and send a message now to your 20-year-old Giancarlo, what would be some of your words of encouragement, guidance, advice to him? I mean, definitely would be something around um, uh, love, sex, and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was I was terrified by by being vulnerable in a relationship. I didn't believe, you know, my role model around long lasting love was pretty bad. So I really I had a string of of of, of not very um, committal relationship. And I feel that um, you know, I mean, we were young, and but but I felt that um, I could, I should have, 
I think I should have, uh, okay, the advice to my 20 years old is that mm-hmm. don't be afraid of opening your heart. <laughs> don't be afraid to be, to, to go full in with your relationship and to give and, 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 you know, make someone happy. It doesn't make you vulnerable. It makes you stronger. But, um, you know, in my 20, I had a different mind, mind space. Mm-hmm. Okay. Beautiful. Thank you. And last question. You actually mentioned this when we were talking about the waking up moments, that um, it's not one, there's several, and we're always in this process of inquiring. Uh, So I like to finish with this question. How do you then, Giancarlo, make sure that you're not now and in general sleepwalking your way through life? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, they say it's like, you know, the self-inquiry and knowing yourself is like Mm. peeling the onion and and it's it's a never ending peeling. So I use my my relationship container, my you know mm-hmm. my marriage container in a, as a sounding board. So every time you know we feel that um, we let um, you know maybe the you know the ego on the driving seat a little bit too much, a little bit too long. You know my wife immediately calls me off on that, and mm-hmm. also you know relationship with the children and and. You know, sometimes I might be carried away on my intellectual search for for new interpretation of reality, and maybe you know I'm not maybe so present with the family. So, how do I check that? Um, okay, so h- how much time do we have? Do we have time for for the four Ps? Yeah, go for it. We have time. Yeah. Okay, so this is a a, a new a new model that I'm um, developing because. Okay. Um, you know, there's so much talk about healing and also there's so much abuse about healing, right? Like uh, Jamie Will, who's an author that I really like, he talks about um, people that are doing excessive plant medicine. Mm-hmm. He calls them um, a bliss junkie and epiphany whores. <laughs> you know, there are people, it's, it's right, it's right. There are people addicted to the, to the um, psychedelic healing. You know, they love the ayahuasca ceremony, they love the magic mushroom, the San Pedro, the Peyote, and and because you have this bliss experience, you have this epiphany, you have a, a peak experience, mm-hmm. right? But then what happens is that you know you need to integrate this peak experience, and you know the the psychedelic, the psychedelic experience is not enough mm-hmm. for mental wellness, you know, for for being centered, for being able to find your gift and give it away. You need to be together. You can't be sloppy. You can't be drinking too much or eating too much or, or or doing too much video games or porn or stupid movies. I mean, you need to get to you need to be together. You know, so how do you deal with trauma? Mostly, you know, subtle trauma. You know, the big trauma. I feel that it's still a question for, you know, for the specialist. You know, if you had like, um, you know, strong trauma some, um, with capital T. Trauma capital T, if you have post-traumatic stress disorder from an attempted suicide or Mm -hmm. from almost a deadly accident or if you were really physical abused, I mean, this is something which still you need. I still recommend the medical medical, uh, Mm -hmm. establishment. But but the subtle trauma, you know, the trauma that we all have of, of being ignored, not being taken care of when we lose... This um, uh, when we lose attachment from our parents, we, we lose authenticity and we interiorize that we're not worthy. So that's what I call subtle trauma. Mm-hmm. So, so my model to heal subtle trauma and to 
um, be have you know to be mentally well mm-hmm. it's the four p's okay so the one the first p is um psychedelic assisted compassion inquiry so the compassion inquiry is a methodology invented by gabor mate mm-hmm. which is a combination of verbal therapy and somatic therapy so with words gabor and cabor cabor is an academia now he's got a two year course so the Gabor trained psychotherapists, they investigate with words the traumatic event in your childhood, and then they help you somatize them. You know, where 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 in the body do you feel it? At the end of your stomach, on your back, on your neck. And 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 with this, you know, it's it's a practice, it's a three-month period. And um, what we have seen, and that's so so far is still underground because some of the psychedelics are not are not mm-hmm. legal yet is that if you combine psychotherapy with with a psychedelic experience, it's a practice easier to do. You know, the psychotherapists have easier access to the subconscious material. And what happens in the brain when you have this subtle trauma is like a tear. It's like you have a a tendon tear, Mm -hmm. right? You know, if Achilles tendon, for example, there's a cartilage that creates around it. So in order to, to release the cartilage, you have to massage this cartilage for six months, the special machine, right? And so when you have this, this psychological injury from the loss of authenticity and interiorization of, of unworthiness, it's like you have a tear on, on your neurological fabric. And so you need to massage this tear, and that takes time. So what happened with the psychedelic, and you probably heard me saying that, mm-hmm. You know, it reduced the blood supply on the default mode network. Now, this is purely speculative, but my intuition is that the psychological tear, um, people cope with the tear with reinforcing the default mode network, mm. which is the closest thing to the, your egoic um, armor. So what I'm trying to say is that when, when you take this, the tryptamine, so psilocybin, DMT, mescaline, mm-hmm. LSD, you temporarily reduce the blood supply in the in the default mode system. And so it's like the tear goes away magically. Mm. It's like for a few hours, you know who you are, you get your authenticity back, and you get your self-worth back. And in some of this experience, maybe for the first time, you feel whole and authentic. It's quite magical. That's why, that's why this plant medicine is so... Um, popular now yeah. and, and, and fashionable because you really feel whole and authentic again. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that it doesn't last because of the the track in the skis. You know, when when the effect is over, it's so easy to go back to the familiar tracks. Yeah. But in integrating the psychotherapy, specifically the compassion inquiry therapy with this practice, you can experience how it feels to be authentic and whole. So even if you don't feel that anymore, you have the memory and that gives you the incentive to do the therapy and find your trauma and release your trauma. And so that's the first P. Of course, it's very important, but it's not enough. I've seen it in my life. I've done ayahuasca for eight years, but then, you know, you need to integrate this moment. So the second P is practice of embodiment and presence, which are, in fact, practice of integration. So the practice of, of, of embodiment, it's, of course, the sport and the yoga, but mm-hmm. also the meditation. Meditation is the practice of embodiment. Mm-hmm. Um, the, stat- the static dance, 
um, the you know being a, being, being a, the, the breathing, all the practice that bring you here and now mm-hmm. that gets you out of your mind. You know, that's there's an injury in your mind. It's like you keep on if you keep on remunerating about things in the past and the future. It's like you scratch that injury. It's like instead of of massaging the cartilage, you keep on banging to it. So getting you know second P practice of embodiment and and presence. And then, so let's assume you do your psychedelic, you, you find the right therapist that works well with, with this, with this um, altered state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. You do your practice, but then now you still need the third P, which is passion. Mm. Then, then become meaning and purpose, but just finding your passion, finding your gift, we discussed that. And then that's the fourth one, which many people realize the importance is people. People in community, yeah. you know, we are social animal. You know, when people say, don't worry what people think, it's very hard. We do worry what people think, you know, not the people that we don't care and we don't respect, but we care what, you know, our peers that we select, that, that we trust and we respect. You know, we all have, I don't know, 20, 30, 50, 100 people around us that we respect. And, and of course, we not only we care about their opinion but we want their opinion we want to be mirrored by them yeah and so you know this idea of 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 being accepted by the community i have a role in the community it's it's very important and ibiza is particularly good for that because you know there is all this moment of of of, of being together you know we babysit each other children there is all this practice of embodiment mm-hmm. and and presence that that happen in people's houses all the time. And and also maybe we are, of course, privileged. You know, mm-hmm. I, I realize that. I realize that, you know, people that need to work 50, 60, 80 hours a week maybe don't have all this time for this practice. But, um, yeah, so I don't remember why I started the four yeah, P's on which question. It's <laughs> the how do you make sure you don't sleepwalk your way through life and you have the methodology to help you with that. <laughs> exactly, 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 mm-hmm. exactly. Okay. Beautiful. And thank you so much, Giancarlo, for this moment together. Thank you, Carlotta. Thank you. Congratulations for doing that. Yes. Congratulations, you too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Un beso. Ciao, ciao. Former investment banker, documentary producer, and the owner of Mangusta Productions and Mango TV, Giancarlo Canavesio is recognized as one of today's best producers of controversial, paradigm-challenging, and mind-bending, expanding themes. Waking Youth is an independent podcast and newsletter that you can find more about at wakingyouth.substack.com. Our lovely theme music is composed and produced by Carlos Sierra, who also edits our episodes. I'm Carlotta Getsch, and before you go, thank you for listening. Ciao!